Thank you. All right, let's keep the frequency high. <laughs> the whole time, the entire time, entire and continual engagement. Doesn't matter the time, we're fresh. <laughs> Holy Spirit, we just welcome right now the Lord of the dance. <laughs> the Lord of peace and the Lord of the battle the Lord of heavenly armies, the Lord of hosts, I welcome you right now. Yeah, there's something on the Lord of the dance at the moment. There's a, there's a dance coming through the sound um, of the worship in this season that we actually have to lay hold of and, and come into tune with. And the Lord started speaking after I wrote this message, so yeah, I'll bring it another time. But just a quick, started to speak to me recently around tuning and coming into tune together and the frequency of worship and being in one sound. And there's something in corporate worship when we come together in one sound and not allowing um, dissonance or other sounds to come in that cut across or take away from a spirit of unity, but actually hearing one another hearing what the Lord is singing, hearing what the Lord is saying in the room and actually posturing our hearts to be in one sound with that. And when we come into one sound with that, we get the sound of many waters, but it is a singular sound. And that is the sound of the roar of the lion. And there's something about in this season, us listening to one another in the place of worship, listening to what the Lord's singing over us, listening to the sounds coming out of heaven, but listening to one another and coming into tune with one another so that we deliver in this place a one sound. And when we make a certain sound, then everything comes into order and we actually have power. And I think on Sunday morning, one of the things that was coming out of the worship was that power, that sense of the power of the Lord. There was such an electric power and that is starting to happen more and more and more and more. And it will increase as we tune with the Lord and tune with one another in one sound. And the Lord's starting to speak on that and move on that at the moment. But what the Lord gave me today was an the, a message about extravagant worship the type of worship that ushers in the habitation of the Lord, the ark of the Lord. And so we're gonna read a, a good chunk of 2 Samuel 6 and 7 and just walk through the imagery, the, the Old Testament imagery of what it is to actually usher in the presence of the Lord and see it established as a habitation in the house of the Lord. But that tuning together in one sound also comes into it because it's, a, it's the unified heart posture of the people that will usher in the habitation, the remaining presence of the Lord, the glory of God. And this has been a message that the Lord has spoken um, to me for many, many, many years, the message on, on worship. And worship is something that has always been a foundational message for my life. It's always been... Um, a significant aspect of my relationship with the Lord. And worship has always been something of like the place I lean into Him for comfort. Worship has been a place um, 
of weapon, a place of protection. Worship has always been that things that drawn me back um, into the Lord or drawn me into a place of teaching me and um, guiding me. It, it's been the constant thing um, in my life, always, no matter what has been going on, no matter what circumstance, is worship that's always directing me back to the pathways of the Lord. And so it can be used in so many ways when we learn how to, to lean into, because worship is just a posture of the heart. Worship isn't singing songs. Worship is a posture of a heart that goes, I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. And, and from that place of being in awe of you, like I demonstrate the awe whether that's through giving, whether that's through what singing songs, whether that's through dance, whether that's through a life laid down, but, but worship is a posture of a heart that goes, I'm in awe of you and I want to demonstrate that awe. There's an outworking, there's a physical outworking, the demonstration of worship that comes from a heart that's in awe. And so I just wanted to go through um, 2 Samuel 6, pretty much the whole journey of all of the mistakes um, and all of the battles and all of the postures that David demonstrates in bringing the ark into the city of David and seeing it established there. So recently he started to add this fresh layer of understanding of, of the posture of worship, what it is to bring in the ark of the Lord. So what I want you to do as I'm speaking about or out of 2 Samuel is use it as imagery. We're in a new covenant. You don't have to kill a physical ox. You don't have to slaughter lambs physically, right? We, get, we understand? We're in a different covenant, but there is an imagery there that we'll go through what the ox, the ox actually speaks of repentance and turning around. It actually speaks of something that the Lord has already done and we can only lay hold of the sacrifice that's already been made through repentance. And so there's so much imagery and I just want you to, to picture what it is. Actually, don't picture, like, don't picture the ox thing, but, but picture the imagery of what it is and how that speaks to a heart posture. Don't disconnect from what I'm speaking about because it's Old Testament, because it actually speaks of a heart posture that we need to engage with in this covenant now. It's what I want to make sure that we all understand is this is never a formula. We do not live in a um, covenant of formula. We live in a covenant of relationship. And the moment you make it a formula, you've lost the relationship. Okay, so none of this speaks to um, a formula, a tick box of one, two, three, and now I've got the presence of God. It actually speaks to the heart posture that we need to have in, or, and then the demonstration from the heart posture not a demonstration that is itself going to usher in the presence of God. Your dance won't usher in the presence of God. The heart posture that desires to demonstrate the awe of the Lord through dance will usher in the presence of God. It has to come inward out first. But what we tend to do is we tend to see some of these things and go, oh, that was a great message. Now I've got the formula of one, two, three, and we lose the relationship and then we've missed it. 
So really important that we see this like as um, imagery of the heart posture that we're meant to have and never a formula. And I'm gonna repeat that over and over and over again as I go through because the tendency of when we speak about the Old Testament is to start to like add that in as a one, two, three tick box formula. And that's never going to work. It has to be a heart posture. Okay, let's start from 2 Samuel 6.2. So, we've got the ark that's been lost at some point, taken out onto battle because of presumption that if we take the ark out into battle without actually inquiring first of the Lord, uh, the Lord's still gonna go before us. We don't even know if this is his battle, but we're taking the ark out, presumption. So we lose we lose the Ark of the Covenant. We lose the Ark of the Lord. It gets lost into the enemy's camp. It does them damage. They eventually give it back, but there's no honour given to it. It's, it's left on a hill somewhere in somebody's house. Um, it doesn't come into the city. It doesn't come into the centre of the people. It's, it's left um, out there as though it's a common thing. And then David, in 2 Samuel 6.2, he gets up, he decides in the midst of this that he's going to go and bring the ark back into the midst of the people, into the middle of the people, into the city of David. And he goes out and it, and it speaks about, it talks about the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts. Now, all through Samuel, oh, I'm gonna go right off track. I'm gonna, okay. Lord of hosts, all through Samuel, he's described often as the Lord of hosts, which is the Lord of battle, the Lord of the armies, who dwells between the cherubim or who dwells between the fiery angels. It's the Lord of heaven, the Lord of heaven's armies that sits there. And then the Lord starts to take me through, as I start to read this, I start to engage with the Lord of armies because who knows that we're in a season of battle? Who knows that we're in a season of war? But what he's speaking about is that in the season of war, in the season of battle, we need the very presence of the Lord in our midst because it is the Lord of hosts, it is the Lord of armies, it's the Lord of the angels of the, sorry, the, the army of angels, the host, the one who directs them, that sits in the very presence. It's, it, he sends out the armies from the midst of the people when the presence of the Lord is in the midst of the people and it becomes something of glory and not a common thing. So in order to engage the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heavenly hosts, the Lord of armies, we actually need in the very center as a priority and something that is honored, the glory of God, the presence of God, and so instead of engaging battle, we engage the presence. And when we engage the presence, he sends out the army. And so in order to engage the army of heaven, we actually need to prioritise the very presence and glory of God. And that's why he's speaking about in this season and in the midst of the, the heat of the battle, because remembering in this era, there is a, a lengthy battle between the house of Saul and the house of David. There's many betrayals backwards and forwards. There's many trading floors, spies coming in and out, people being betrayed, people being killed. And in the midst of that, he goes, I need the ark. I need the glory of God to be in the center 
of the people. And this is the season that we find ourselves in now, that in the heat of battle and in the the heat of these political trading floors and all of these things that we have to consider and we have to look at, we need to prioritise having the presence of God in the midst of the people because out of that place, we engage and we, and we have the, um, the very presence of the Lord of hosts, the one who fights our battles for us. And so prioritising the presence of the Lord in our midst. I am almost towards the end of the worship, I realise I am yelling and screaming and, I'm, I'm praying and I've got to preach in a moment and that's not ideal too late. Anyway, so he starts to take me through 2 Samuel, specifically around governance and battle and the presence of the Lord. And so the first attempt, and I'm not, don't even worry about putting this big chunk, I'm going to paraphrase this, this whole thing. The first attempt to bring the ark in fails. And it fails for the very same reason as it was first lost, presumption, a lack of honour, a lack of protocol, the things that they knew they should have done, they didn't do. And to us, it may seem like, oh, this was a really good job. You know, they bought a new cart to put the ark on. They didn't use, no, no used cart, they, they, brand new cart, never been used before, put the ark on it. That sounds good. Sounds like a good thing that, that, that they've done there. And they had the instruments playing and they were going before and they were... And there's such a distinction between the instruments that are used here and the instruments that are used later. And I find that fascinating. So here they've got some cymbals, they've got some harps, and they're playing as they're going through. And then right as it comes to the threshing, and half of the reason I'm not reading it out, can't say the names of the places. (laughs) So they come to the threshing floor and the oxen wobble. And as I mentioned before, the oxen speaks of repentance. The repentance wobbles. The posture wobbles. So Uzzah puts his hand out, touches the ark, dead. And David's response in that moment is anger. And then his response is fear. And he's like, I cannot bring the ark into the midst of the people and sends it off to um, Obed-Edom's home where it stays for three months and that family is blessed. And so David must come back around and go, okay, there's a blessing on this. There's a blessing on the presence of the Lord being in the midst of the family or in the midst of the house. A lack of honour, it was a lack of honour because they would have known at the time that the ark was meant to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. They knew that at the time. They put it on a cart as though it was a common thing. But it was meant to be carried on the shoulders of those who were consecrated, had dedicated their life to the service of the Lord and carried on their shoulders as a place of honour. They would have known at the time it was, it was dishonour or, or a lack of understanding or a lack of care to put it on a cart that could have toppled over that may have wobbled. That was not the place that the glory of the Lord was meant to be held. It was meant to be held on the praises or those consecrated for the praise, consecrated for worship, dedicated unto the Lord. They would have known that. There was a lack of fear of the Lord and they would have known that. 
Uzzah should never have touched the ark. And the place where he was struck down and struck dead is actually called, the, it's called Perez Uzzah, which means the bridge, the bridge of. That was, the, the, the place was actually named that. There was an awareness that there was a breach in the spirit. It was, it was a common thing. The glory of God was treated like a common thing. And I think that's one of the first things that we need to get out of this story is, is the glory and the presence of God is not a common thing. It is not something to be taken lightly. It is not something um, to be added unto or, or, or considered on the side. It is the very center of everything, the presence of the Lord. That, that when we, we come into his presence that we don't treat it lightly as a common thing. It is something of awe. It is something of wonder that, that the posture of our heart is to come in and, and, and be in awe and wonder of who he is, to consider it a sacred thing, a beautiful thing, an honourable thing. That's the very first thing that our heart needs to come to terms with. It is not a common thing. The presence of the Lord is to be, um, to be valued and to be honoured. The, the lack of honour and reverence allowed the judgments to land. Don't be familiar with the Lord, making his presence a light thing. You know, there's something when we, um, we muck around with a parent and, we, and we're, we're having, um, you know, because the, the Lord is full of joy. The Lord is full of love. He is light. Um, and his, he, his presence is enjoyable. But you know that moment that you cross the line with your parent? <laughs> You're mucking around then suddenly you've crossed the line because it's become familiar. It's gone from light, um, playful banter to dishonour. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about not enjoying the presence of the Lord. I'm not talking about um, being sombre. Have the joy of the Lord. Enjoy the presence of the Lord. But what I'm talking about is the place where it moves to dishonour. The place where it goes that little bit too far and, and your mum and dad go, that's enough now. And then you don't listen and then you get a smack. <laughs> I didn't say smack. <laughs> I did say smack. Parenting classes next week. Oh dear, where was I up to? That wasn't, the smacking wasn't in here. <laughs> Dishonor. Yes, so it was the honour that Obed-Edom gives the presence of the Lord, putting it in the centre of his home, giving honour that allows the flow of the blessing to happen. So David sees the blessing coming on the house of Obed-Edom. He recognises again the value attached to the presence of the Lord being in the centre um, of the people. But I believe it wasn't just like, oh, I see the blessing, I want the blessing and I'm going to now bring the ark in. There had to have been, and it's demonstrated as we go on, an absolute heart repentance, 
um, of David from the anger and from the fear into the place um, of honour and reverence. There, there was such a, a turn about in terms of his heart posture that he came to a place of repentance. He came to a place um, of repentance for his anger because anger and rebellion will always keep us from the ark. It will always keep us from the presence of the Lord. Anger and rebellion will always cause us to turn our back on the presence of the Lord. Fear will always keep us from the ark. It will always cause us to turn our back on the presence of the Lord because we cannot approach or embrace the presence of the Lord with any of those things or any of those weights attached to us. So it's clear to me that there was like such a heart repentance in David. And this is because also he didn't, didn't come back with a set of rules and go, all right, we stuffed up the protocols. So now I'm gonna come back with a set of protocols and a set of rules in order to get the ark into the city of David without you know, somebody being dead. But he didn't do that. He still comes back against the protocols because now he's wearing the linen ephod. He's now coming in um, as in a priestly function, but there's no presumption in his heart. It was a change of heart posture, not a change of protocols. The honour came first. The, the place of awe and wonder came first. That enabled him to actually function um, in a New Testament or New Covenant reality of ushering in the presence of God. He came not with a set of protocols, but with the fullness of his heart, the full, like the, the absolute complete effort of his heart and his body and his worship that he could not have done if he was still holding any levels of anger or fear or bitterness. David's response was not a religious spirit of protocols, but of extravagant, unbridled worship, a heart fully responsive to the blessing of the Lord and the anticipation of the habitation of his glory in the midst of the people. His response was the killing of idols and the offering of sacrifices and a spirit of thanksgiving and rejoicing. And that couldn't have happened without repentance. There couldn't have been such a change without complete repentance and belief in the goodness of the Lord. So the first thing that then happens is the offering or the Sabbath. Let's have a look at verse 12. Now it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of the Lord. So David went and brought up the ark from the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark, so bearing the ark of the Lord, so they were now holding it properly, um, had gone six paces and then he sacrificed the oxen and the fat fatted sheep. Yes, that's what it says. Okay, so we go six paces and every time I, I read this, I wanted to like delve into six, which incidentally means uh, humanity or independence or opposition to God and I thought, but it was the, it was the seventh step 
where the sacrifice happened. So there was six steps and then on the seventh action, which is the Sabbath, the day of rest, the place of the presence of the Lord. So you go six and then the seventh, on the seventh step or the seventh action, there was a sacrifice. Seven meaning divine perfection, rest and completion. And so every time it came to the seventh action, they engaged um, in the rest, the Sabbath, the perfection and the completion of the Lord. At this point, he sacrificed the oxen. Okay. I thought this was very interesting, but the root word meaning to turn. Speaking of repentance. So at the seventh action, there was an engagement with repentance. And then the fattened sheep actually talks, the root words meaning rebel and the whipping and lashing. And so there's a place here, because remembering we're, we're looking at the imagery here and we're looking at the way that this is the heart posture. When we engage with what Jesus did at the cross, through repentance, we actually engage in the fruit of the sacrifice. Everything he did, this is why he talks about do this in remembrance of me, but I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll do it anyway. Do this in remembrance of me. We're actually engaging in not the memory. It's not, it's not talking about the memory. It's talking about the focus. It's talking about bring it into remembrance so that you can hold it in focus, that I have done everything necessary, that the sacrifice has already been made and you can now partake of the fruit of the sacrifice. So when we, every um, seventh action, there was an ox and there was a sheep that was slain and sacrificed and then they would do it over and over and over again. The continual remembrance of the sacrifice went over and over and over again and it became worship before the Lord. David is, has gone all priest here, where, giving sacrifices, wearing the linen um, ephod, and later we even see him like speaking a blessing uh, over the people as the priests would have. And yet there's no presumption. His heart is fully aligned. His worship is true. It's extravagance, the extravagant expression of his heart. And we have to see here again, this isn't a set of rules. It was a heart posture. It was the expression of awe. One, two, three, four, five, six. Now I'm going, now awe. And again, and awe, and again, and awe. And I'm going to demonstrate my worship and my thankfulness and my gratefulness. And I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to express this over and over and over again. And the image that that created before all of the people of Israel, the value of the presence of the Lord was set before them over and over. This is the value of the presence of the Lord. We're gonna walk six steps and then we're going to express the value over and over and that image being set before the people. I don't know how long that would have taken and how many times, but that image would be burnt into the minds of that whole generation, the value of the presence of the Lord over and over and over again, something they wouldn't forget. This is his value. Keep looking at his value. So we've got the offering. 
And then we've got worship and praise. So verse 14, then David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark with shouting and with the sounds of trumpets. And these are very different instruments than what was used the first failed time. <laughs> with shouting and trumpet, trumpets, there's this, this, the shofar, the, the joy, the expression, the battle cry, the celebration over and over and over again and that sound going up. I mean, the sound um, of this ceremony of the, the trumpets and the shouting and the sacrifices and all of those things, the sound that would have been coming from that place would have been deafening. You wouldn't forget it. It talks about, and he danced with all of his might, all of his effort, all of his strength, all of his boldness, all of his power. You know, we, we, um, we think about people in the Bible sometimes as, as characters and we assign to them an ability um, to not have fear of man or to not be shy or to not like they're superheroes somehow. It would have taken boldness. It would have taken a real laying down of self in order to be able to be so demonstrative in his love and expression for the Lord. You know, we think about ourselves in a setting like this and what might people think about us if we like dance a little bit higher or sing a little bit louder and we pull back, Carl doesn't. Carl doesn't think about that. <laughs> but most of us, um, have, but, and, but we assign to these biblical characters some sort of superhero ability to not think of it. That's not true. It took boldness, effort. It took all of his strength. And, all, and it says that he, he danced with all of his effort, all boldness and strength. Um, I, I, as I was preparing this word, I had two confirmations. One, I was speaking to, um, to Megan and she had just... She sent me her notes. I was reading this as well and almost word for word um, coming out of this passage, what the Lord's speaking in this season. The other one was Christina. Does, who remembers that song, when the spirit of the Lord is in my heart, I'll dance like David does? Not a lot. Ah, well, I, I, yeah, I went looking for it today <laughs> and I did not find any modern versions uh, of it, like at all. But I listened to it all, all day. Um, but when the Spirit of the Lord is in my heart, that, that's the song, when the Spirit of the Lord, I will dance like David danced. Um, and that's not a little two-step Pentecostal, raise my hand a little bit. This is the full expression of everything within us dancing for the Lord and, and, and giving Him um, our all. So anyway, so he's wearing the uh, linen ephod a garment worn by the priests whose job it was to minister to the Lord. Now, this wasn't a linen dress that you wear down at the beach because it's nice and cool. It, it, it wasn't something of insignificance. It wasn't something light. It wasn't a common thing. It was ceremonial, worn in the service of the Lord, made with effort. And if we look back into um, Exodus it was intricately described, designed, and crafted. Exodus 39, and 
is like the whole chapter is largely dedicated to Moses describing how the Lord's commanded the design, the colour, the materials, the adornments, the measurements of this priestly garment. It wasn't some common thing. There was a design, it was designed by the Lord through the prophet and intricately outworked what it would look like, the garment that the priests wore. It wasn't a common thing. And so for all of these things, what he was wearing and how he was dancing and the sacrifice over and over again, there's this expression of the value of the presence of the Lord coming in to the midst of the people. And the ark comes in with shouting, which actually means um, acclamations of joy and a battle cry. It's jewel. And the sounds or the proclamations of the trumpet, which is a shofar that gives a clear and certain sound. So there's this constant duality between the, uh, the victory and taking the victory. There's a sense here of the triumph of the entry of the Lord, which speaks to the Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. It's got the same feeling um, attached to it, the honour of coming into the city of David. There was no sombre procession, 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 uh, or religious protocol. It was jubilant, unbridled praise, worship, thanksgiving, rejoicing. And then there's sort of this caution of beware of the battle. Because the shouts of joy in the battle cry were the same as we have the victory, but we dish out the victory, right? We are saved, but there's an outworking of salvation. The land he has given us and the land he is giving us. There's always this duality between position and taking the the victory and taking the victory. We have the victory and we take the victory. There's this constant um, joy, the, the acclamations of, of victory and the, the battle cry of we're coming to take the victory. It's, it's the, this duality um, of expression here in bringing the ark in. Because right at this point, in, the persecution begins. The murmuring in the heart of his wife and so in, in verse 16, it speaks how it, um, the ark of the Lord comes into the city and his wife looks out through the window, sees King David leaping, whirling before the Lord, and she despises him in her heart. Often the ones closest to us can be the ones that challenge us the most in the area or the place where we start to engage the zeal of the Lord or the extravagant expression of worship. His praise challenged or confronted her heart. His zeal or praise challenged her lukewarmness. And so at that point, there's often a choice in people. Do I, do I use or am I encouraged or am I uplifted by somebody else's zeal such that I desire that or do I wanna put that down and despise that or minimise that in my heart? And I heard these words as I was reading that. It searched, it searched her heart. His praise, his zeal, his extravagance searched her heart and she was found wanting. The word despise means to disesteem, to have contempt or scorn for, and this is dishonour. 
And so in that very moment where she's got this scorn in her heart, David brings in the offerings. So in verse 17, so they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And so right in this moment where this murmuring is starting, he then brings in and starts to bring in the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. So I love these offerings. David comes into the city with the presence of the Lord and brings two offerings. So I wanna have a look at this. Remember, we're using this as imagery. This is a shadow of a lifestyle of worship we're meant to have before the Lord. And a worship, uh, sorry, a lifestyle of worship we're meant to have in the Lord, not separate from Him. We're not earning anything anymore. This is an expression of worship from a place of being in Him. So first, the burnt offering. This is also called the ascension offering. It is the offering of the whole animal, everything. Everything goes on the altar, everything is gone, burnt up, completely gone. This is the imagery of us offering up ourselves because we died with Christ, who offered up his whole self for us. That's what allows us to ascend. His offering of the entirety of him is the access point for us to ascend and it's the ascension offering. It's the one that allows us to go up. When we go back to Exodus, and, and the reason I keep going back to the law of first mention or, or the place um, where the Lord gives the laws or, or, and sets out all of the protocols is because he's describing the heart posture through the law. We now have a different access place, Jesus, but the heart posture that he's describing back there is the same. So the heart posture he describes through the law of, of being, um, of the completeness of the sacrifice is what we actually have to understand we're receiving when we receive our salvation. We have to understand that it's, that it's complete. It's a complete sacrifice that he made for us and we need to step into that. And so when we look at the law and we start to understand the, like how complete it is, everything that he intended to express or everything that he expressed through the law was intended to point us to understanding the fullness of what he did on the cross and everything that he's already done for us. It is not intended for us to go back to the law in order to do the law, it's to see everything he did. But, but the Old Testament imagery is, is helpful because it's an outward display that we can actually lay hold of in an image of an inward reality that's really a really hard concept. And that's why the Old Testament imagery and the Old Testament stories are so useful for us to understand because they give description and, and they allow us to see something that we can then apply to understand the inner workings of everything he's done. That's why they're so powerful. 
So going back to Exodus, the first mention of the burnt offerings and the, the peace offerings is in um, Exodus 20, verse 24. An altar of the earth you shall make for me. You shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And to me that instantly sounded of when you do this in remembrance of me. The, as I said before, the remembrance isn't about memory, but it's about being mindful, bringing into focus, actually bringing into um, our world the entirety of the power and the blessing of the cross by bringing it into focus, by remembering it, by, by be mindful of it, by giving it honour, not considering it a common thing, but bringing it back in and going, I'm in awe because the awe makes a way for it to land. The awe of the Lord gives pathways for that blessing to actually start to manifest in our lives. When we consider it a common thing, it doesn't have a pathway to land because it's holy. But the awe of the Lord, the expression of worship in that place allows the, the power and the blessing somewhere to land because it's a holy thing and it's given a holy pathway. All we have to do is repent of our own ways and be in awe of his. I'm in awe of you, Lord, and that awe like brings pathways into our lives. It sounds like 1 Corinthians 11, mm, 23 to 26. And as he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is where we actually engage the sacrifice. It's the same sacrifice. We don't have to do it, it's already been done, but it's in the engagement, in the remembrance of me that there's a proclamation and the proclamation prepares the way of the Lord. So it prepares the entrance um, of the fruit of the sacrifice that he's already done, that he's already made for us. At the end of that Exodus passage, it says, in every place where I record my name, which is done through the sacrifice, the altar, I will come and bless you. And so it's the same concept when we remember him, when we bring into remembrance the sacrifice that he's already made, it creates an altar. It creates a place for him to land. It creates a place for the blessings of the Lord to be manifest and to be received. So going back to the burnt sacrifice. As I said, it's called the ascension offering. It is the sacrifice as it's handed over onto the fire that actually transforms from the body of the animal into smoke. The smoke ascends. So it's the when we lay our lives on the altar, 
we actually get transformed by the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when we can ascend. When we ascend, we access the heavenly places, we're there. So there's actually a transforming agent that happens or a, a transformation that happens when we lay ourselves on the altar, we give ourselves over to Him and we go up as a sweet smelling aroma and access heavenly places. There is no way for us in this bodily form to access heavenly places, but we do have the ability to lay ourselves on the altar and ascend. And that's how I think Daryl said before that there's strategies today for ascending or strategies today for people and people are asking, how do I ascend? That's how you ascend. You lay yourself on the altar in pure worship. You give your all to him and you are transformed into a format that can ascend into heavenly places and access. And that's how we access all all of the heavenly things that we need, all of the blessings that are stored up there is simply by laying on the altar and allowing ourselves to be transformed. So that's the burnt um, offering. So Philippians uh, 4, 18 to 20, we're talking about the sweet smelling aroma. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. I have received everything from that person that's... The things that you sent, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. And so what we have here is they've received an offering. The offering has gone up as a sweet-smelling aroma. So, So laid on the altar, the smoke has gone up. It's been received by the Lord. And there, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's the place of transformed people that have laid themselves on the altar, that have given themselves to the Lord, that transcend, and there my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So this, this offering here was, was the gifts that people Um, have given. The offering in Exodus was on the altar. It was the sacrifice of the oxen. The, the, um, The worship in 2 Samuel was the expression of the 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 dance and the shouting and the proclamation, but all of it was a heart posture of I give you my all and my awe. And that becomes the sacrifice or the burnt offering that goes up before the Lord. These attitudes produce the openness of heart that allows God to move. But then the second one that always happens in conjunction with the burnt offering is the peace offering. They go together. And the peace offering is a voluntary sacrificial offering of thanksgiving. And it is a place where they bring, bring in the, still the animal, <laughs> And they offer it to the priests, but then all of the valuable meat is returned to them to go and have a party. And this is where we get the feast. This is where we get fellowship. This is where we get um, 
one to another. This is the horizontal, the offering that is horizontal, brother to brother, where we celebrate together the, in communion, in fellowship. And so these, these two sacrifices go together. The, the sacrifice of lay down and awe and transcending and my God shall supply all of my needs, but he doesn't leave us in heavenly places alone. He commands us still to come back down and have fellowship with one another and celebrate who he is so that we impact the world around us. And there's these dual sacrifices that, that go on, the peace offering and the burnt offering. And so David comes Um, in bringing the presence of the Lord into the city of David. He offers the burnt sacrifice. He offers um, the peace offering. Sorry, I've skipped ahead a few, paraphrasing. So, (laughs) So I hope you're following me. I'll quickly go through it again. There's the offerings right at the beginning, the the ox and the, um, the fattened lambs that speak of repentance and the surrendering of idols. Then there's the worship with all of his might. And then there's the praise with the trumpets and the shouts and the acclamations of joy, but the battle cry at the same time. Then the murmuring from others, the persecution starts. Then there's the burnt offering, which is the ascension. And there's the peace offering, which is fellowship. And then David comes and he blesses the people. He blesses, he he speaks a blessing over and he distributes among the people a loaf of bread, some meat and a raisin cake. Dessert as well, like the whole, (laughs) the whole, the whole meal. But then at that time, the outward ridicule begins from his mockery from his wife. And there's a warning worth heeding in this. And it says that David returns to bless his household. This is verse 20. And his wife mocks him and says, and uses sarcasm. And the interns should know how I feel about sarcasm. It's vile. Mocks him. How glorious was the king? uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one base, like she, she just calls him base. One of the base fellows shamely uncovers himself. And so when we choose extravagant worship, we will attract ridicule. <laughs> Mockery of others, either because of their ignorance or because it's a challenge to their own lukewarmness or lack of zeal. It's confronting (laughs) when someone is passionate in front of you and you don't feel like it. (laughs) It is, it's like, it's challenging. And the easiest thing to do is throw water on that rather than actually stoke our own fire and stoke our own zeal. It's easy because of the fear of man or embarrassment or shame to allow others to throw water on our own fire or to dim our light and to conform and not stand out so as to not attract ridicule, slander or persecution. But the Lord calls us higher. And the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, when we actually lay hold of that, the awe, coming back to the awe of the Lord, when we see Him, it so swallows up 
the fear of man. It so swallows up the fear of persecution or the fear of mockery when we actually see him for who he truly is. And this is, this is David's response to his wife. He goes, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. Now that sounds a little bit like a dig. <laughs> I, I read that, I'm like, oh. <laughs> there might've been a dig there. Who chose me instead of your father and all of his house and appointed me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music, I'll rejoice before the Lord. I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. For as the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honour. And then it says of her, and this is the warning to heed, that she had no children and there was barrenness for the rest of her days. That is the fruit of mockery. That is the fruit of despising. That was the fruit of the children of Israel who wandered in the wilderness and died there because of murmuring, right? Because of despising in their heart of not having awe and not putting value on the things of the Lord and the things of kingdom, to to consider those things common, to have presumption about what the Lord owed them instead of being in awe of who the Lord is and everything he's already done and celebrating so that you get to see him. Because when you celebrate him and you see him, then you attract the blessing of the Lord. The response of David is to make clear who he serves. That he has the fear of the Lord over and above any fear of man. That he recognise that he recognised who blessed him, who put him where he is, and who caused him to ascend and to rule. The mockery by his wife resulted in her lifelong fruitful, fruitlessness, barrenness. But for David, who chose the fear of law over the uh, fear of the Lord over the fear of man. The story continues with a heart to bless the Lord and to build him a house. But the Lord doesn't permit him to do so. But because of that heart, extends that honour to his offspring, but gives David this promise. And this is 2 Samuel 7, 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne will be established forever. And there's this beautiful painted expression of what it is to radically worship the Lord from a heart posture of awe, extravagance from a place of affection and honour. There is the worship and the blessing and the sacrifice and the abundance and the honour and the legacy. There's this constant dance between David and the Lord. 
and we're invited into that dance. It's not for the blessing. It's not for all of those, but those are the added unto things that we get to um, engage with because there's always this duality, always this dance. As I said, there was this the worship and the blessing. There was the sacrifice and then abundance. He gave honour to the Lord and the Lord gave him legacy, established his throne forever. There is never any lack in the Lord. There is, there is never anything missing when we give him our all. We, we will lack in no, in, in nothing. There is, but the, it has to come from the place of awe. It is not a trading floor to get. It is a place where we already celebrate what we have and that makes way for it to land. If we wanna see the fullness of the manifestation of the presence of the Lord or the ark of the Lord in this house and in our lives, we need to extend our hearts, the territory of our heart needs to grow so that we have the space to receive it. Extravagant worship or praise and thanksgiving paves the way, causes us to ascend, to access the place of blessing. The invitation in this season is again and still to engage the spirit of the fear of the Lord, to be in awe of Him and outwardly demonstrate in our worship, in our giving, in our love for one another, in our sacrifice, what is inside to come out. So the first thing is the inside, the first thing is the awe, the first thing is the spirit of the fear of the Lord, engaging in the celebration of who He is, receiving the sacrifice that He has already made. And we receive that through repentance and honour and not considering the sacrifice already made to be a common thing, but a thing worthy of awe, a thing worthy of honour, and a thing worthy of our entire life being laid down so that we can ascend. So let's pick up our communion. Can we just have the pads on, please? Let's just stand up for a moment. Before we take communion, let's just, let's just start to actually give Him thanks. And just open our mouths and open an expression of awe and thanksgiving before Him of what He has already done. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah
we welcome you into this place. We give you the place of honour. We give you a place of honour in this house. We give you a place of honour in our lives. We recognise, we see, we remember, we hold fast to the sacrifice that you have already made for us. Everything you have already done. We thank you, Lord, that you made the way. You made the way. You provided the sacrifice. You provided the sacrifice. And we honour. We honour you, Lord. There's no presumption in our hearts, Lord. There is honour toward the sacrifice that you made. There is honour toward the glory and the presence of God. We give it a place of priority in this house. And we give it a place of priority in our hearts.
longer. Just give Him honour, give Him praise just a little bit longer. Express thanksgiving, express gratefulness, express the awe of the Lord, express His goodness. Thank You for everything He's done. Thank You for the victory won and the victory to be taken.
days of awe and wonder, my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In Him. And my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in glory. In Christ Jesus. And if you believe it, say it with me. And my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll see you on Sunday.